Welcome to the seventh edition of the Stay Hot Podcast. It's your host, Patrick Kelch, and this edition of the 10th Region Preview takes us a trip down to Alexandria, Kentucky for the Bishop Rosser Mustangs and Coach Code. Coach Code's entering his second season at the helm of the Bishop Rosser Mustangs. They finished last season at 13-11 and 11 in a first-round loss in the district tournament to Scott High. And, you know, Scott High – Campbell, Brosser, Calvary, it's probably the toughest district year in, year out in the 10th region. And, uh, Coach, I had a chance to watch the game last year between you and Scott in the first round of the district. And I'm not going to lie, it's one of the more well-played, executed um, district tournament games I've seen. Just seems like you would give a shot, Scott would answer. Scott, take a shot, you would answer. And um, you have to come out on losing in there from a brilliant you know, individual performance by Grant Prophet. Um, but tell me something that maybe the returning players who got a chance to play in that game, what experience they got that may help them, you know, into this year. Talk about that game if you would. Yeah, sure. Uh, it, it was well played. We didn't necessarily shoot the ball well in that game, um, but it was, it was well played in terms of execution. We knew that we had to slow down the game a little bit um, just based on due to various circumstances with our team and, who we had and who we didn't have. Uh, we, we knew we couldn't get into a running running game against those guys. Um, they're just too talented. They had the player of the year in Grant Profit, and he's really, really good. Um, it was a it was a three-point game at halftime, and we thought that, you know, we kept it as close as, as long as possible. We were hoping, you know, to be able to keep it within three, you know, going into the fourth quarter. But, uh, you know, in the second half, Scott certainly got the best of us. Um you talked about what we can gain from it. I think both teams will probably gain a lot from it because Scott didn't have a lot of seniors last year, um, even though their bell cow was Grant Profit and he was he was special. Um, but both of our teams, um, I, I think, will grow a lot from that and that type of experience um, should, bo- should benefit both of our teams pretty well this upcoming year. Well, that's one thing I noticed, and of course, you know, I got a chance to play early on last year and neither team at their best, obviously. And you may be more to disadvantage than me because I was returning a lot of players who had seen significant varsity action. You were still trying to fill out, you know, your team because you had a lot of guys who were inexperienced. You had to play a lot of inexperienced guys due to injuries. You know, Carson Shermer, who is one of my favorite high school players, obviously a nightmare to coach against because just the way he played the game, he played the game the right way. He played hard. He would take a charge. He could handle the ball in the offensive end. He got his teammates involved. Um, you look at him with Steven Verse, Gabe Smorey, Mick Kleins, four guys who uh, have meant a lot to your program. Tell me uh, what all each one of those meant to him. You can talk about them as a collective unit or talk about them individually, however you want. But, you know, those are four guys who I feel like have contributed a lot to your program over the years. And it's going to be hard to replace those guys. Sure. You know, I think, you know, at Brosser, we certainly pride ourselves on, on guys, I, I guess, clearing the path and setting the path and, and setting the way that things are supposed to be done. And um, this goes back well before my tenure. This goes back to, to Willie Schlarman all the way back then, where he was really good about getting guys from his teams to come back in the summer to, to do the right thing and to show the guys the right way. And then when Willie left, uh, you know, Mike certainly took that and ran to it, ran with it. And, uh, you know, in the summer, it was great with open gyms that we could, 
we had guys come from the past and we even had this past year in open gyms where guys would come back and they would, they would oftentimes correct our guys and say, Hey, no, this is how you should do this. This is how you should play me on that play, even in open gym. And, and that type of stuff is far more valuable than a lot of the scrimmages that we can, we can do. And I know there's a lot of schools that go around and they'll play 20 or 30 scrimmages in the summer. And I might be exaggerating that to a little, little bit, but um, we find it, it's a lot better but more beneficial for us in, in the summer to play open gyms against guys that are physically more mature that are 18, 19, 20 years of age compared to going to play a school that might have, you know, some sophomore 15 year old sophomore that's trying to cut his teeth at the varsity level. So, um, you know, the, the guys that you mentioned are very good about that, doing that. Uh, the guys before those guys are really good about doing that. Um, so uh, I'm very blessed to be able to, to, to coach at a school like Bishop Rosser. And, you know, you mentioned something there that I would say most coaches agree with. I don't know if they would openly say it or not, because I'm coming from a school where if we didn't play 25, 30 games in the summer, I was probably catching a lot of heat because there's a lot of people in the community that want to see those kids playing. I, for one, probably agree with you in the aspect of you get guys coming in from your program that knows your program, played your program, that – um you know, probably knows how, knows how you all do things that can help those kids as opposed to playing a lot of different scrimmages. Um, I know Coach Frohmeyer's talked to me about it as well, about how he doesn't play a lot of summer games either. And I'm hoping that's something that we see a little bit more from all teams and not just, you know, it seems to be, you know, I know you and Coach are in the same district, but, you know, up in our district, if you don't get a full summer schedule, 25, 30 games, and people are starting to say, what are you doing? Do you care about this team? Do you care about the future? Because you need to be playing games. So um, I'm glad to hear you say that. So anything else you want to elaborate about that? Because that's probably how I feel, but I was never really in a position where I was allowed to do that. Well, you know, I, I've talked to various coaches. Uh, I mean, I remember talking to uh, Coach uh, Hensley down at, at Holmes, and he said if he didn't do summer games, a lot of those kids wouldn't show up for the open gyms unless they're playing. And the only way that he could get them there is if they would play. So um, Brossard's a little bit unique, but we also feel that we can't overschedule games in the summer just because a lot of our guys are playing summer baseball and all that. And there's, there's still that part of, uh, in the back of my mind, let's not overwork the kids in the summer. We grind on them so hard during the course of the season. Um, their body's got to recover a little bit. And whether they're playing select baseball and they're, they're playing, you know, 60, 80 games in the summer, they don't necessarily need to now go play 30 games um, uh, in basketball. But we'll have our Mondays, we'll have our Wednesdays, we'll have our Fridays. And we expect our guys to show up for, you know, some of them, not all of them, but make sure that you show up for some of them and, and get some, some good playing experience because in our open gyms, Oftentimes the first 45 minutes is skill work. Um, occasionally we go an hour in skill work. And then that second half, they can play as long as they want. If they want to play, you know, an hour, play hour game. But sometimes we'll stretch for two and a half hours of games after the hours, the, the one hour of skill work. Um, it, it's not uncommon for our guys to be in the gym for three hours. And I guarantee that's more basketball they're getting that night than splitting time in a scrimmage and end up playing, you know, whatever it is, 16 minutes. And I agree with that. And one of the arguments I used to try to make was I hated, you know, not that injuries can't occur in open gym, but I would hate for my, one of my players to get, you know, a significant injury over a meaningless summer game. You know, 
those summer games aren't played for anybody, but really the parents. Let's get let's be honest. Really, the parents or the fans. Um, you know, a lot of those summer. You know, and I've talked to some of the players, and they feel like summer ball is a lot more fun. I guess because there's a lot less pressure. Very few coaches are hinging on wins and losses in the summer. You just go out and play, and you know, you try to work on those things. But you know, I'm one of those ones that believe you know the 45 minutes to an hour worth of skill work, and you focus on those skills that can benefit you in the season. Then, if you're playing that open run or you know those open scrimmages in the gym with guys who can help you make you better, that's way more beneficial than what you're going to see in a uh, just a typical summer basketball game. Yeah, I, yeah, Patrick, I completely agree. And uh, but I also understand that everybody's in a unique situation and every school has to attack it differently. And what works for us might not work for somebody else and vice versa. So, um, you know, there's there's lots of ways to skin that cat. But uh, that's just the way that we go about it. And uh, it works for us. And that's true. And, you know, like I said, I, it seems to be the. Uh, common trend down there as far as playing fewer games in the summer because I just remember talking to Coach Fromer one time and he told me he only played three games in the summer and I know my eyes got as wide as silver dollars something like three I play three a week you know I mean so um but uh talk to me about um the three guys that I wrote down that are returning and I want you to you know you can add more because I know you have a large junior class I think like 12 on the roster um actually I wrote down just I know David Govan and Mason C. Pate were two guys that played a lot of minutes against me. I know you have more guys because I recognize a few names on the roster that may have played minutes. And like I said, injury forced your hand early. You probably got a chance to play a lot of kids' minutes, more minutes than maybe you'd wanted to due to injuries. But, you know, talk about your returning roster and what you've seen so far. I do know without football, you're probably not seeing everybody right now. And that's just something I'm not used to because we don't have football. So um, just kind of tell me what you've seen so far. I know you said you scrimmaged and – you know, maybe just talk about the preseason up to this point. Sure. So, you know, just kind of for for reference point, you guys, we're doing this this podcast. It's uh, our football guys got eliminated, whatever it was, 36, 48 hours ago. Um, so we have not seen them yet. We see them tomorrow. So as I'm speaking, I won't be speaking on behalf of any of our football guys just because we haven't seen them since the summer. Right. Um, so all I can really attest to and, and – communicate about is the guys that are currently there. Um, but we do have a large junior class and we expect some of those guys from football certainly to contribute. Um, what the, there's two people that have stuck out that in the summer that had fantastic summers, which are Logan Woosley and Anthony Cruzy. Anthony Cruzy is a point guard. Logan Woosley's uh, kind of a uh, do everything type of kid for us, whether we wouldn't need to run him as a guard or, or forward. Um, you know, he's a pretty athletic kid uh, in that regard. They, they both have fantastic summers. Um, Luke Schumacher, who was out pretty much all last year, he, he played like a grand total of uh, less than 10 minutes of varsity um, after he dislocated his kneecap the first time. He came back and tried to rehab it during the course of the season and came back and he, he, uh, he ended up playing a little bit in the Campbell County crosstown game and uh, we ended up throwing a high-low lob to him, and I think he was probably two minutes into the game, and his knee went out again. Uh, it was it was it was horrible um, to, to see that, and then he ended up getting the surgery mid-year, um, and so he's rehabbed all the way since that time, and he he's really he's really played well. Uh, we scrimmaged uh, you know last Tuesday, and uh, 
you know, against bigger, stronger kids. Luke really held his own against, uh, against them on the glass. Um, but, you know, he's, he's a work in progress because he had this injury also as a freshman as well as having as a sophomore. So he's had very little bit of basketball playing time um, in his high school career. So every single week you get to see the maturation and certain things that he's starting to do better and better. And uh, so we're really high on Luke um, and we continue to think that, you know, he'll, he'll keep on growing. Um, Jack Poe is, a, is another kid that we've had in the gym. Jack uh, end up, unfortunately, due to certain types of family situations, he spent a lot of time up in Wisconsin visiting his dad um, the summer. So we didn't have him in the summer. So although he got to rest and work on some stuff on his own, because he wasn't with us this summer, you really start seeing right now as we're six weeks into, to, uh, into the preseason. Now the last two weeks, Jack's been playing really, really well for us. Um, and because he missed all summer. So he's getting the work right now. So um, he, he's doing really well in that regard. Um, and then, you, you know, you mentioned Mason C. Payton. He's probably our most consistent, um, you know, he was our, he was a starter last year. He, he averaged roughly eight points a game as a sophomore. Um, and so he's, he's one of the guys that we're certainly counting on. And he's, he's one of our top defenders, top ball handlers, top shooters, top everything is, uh, you know, is, is a junior. So, uh, um, you know, we have high hopes for him as well. I was really impressed with Mason last year. Of course, you know, last year when we played, like I said, I think it was your all's first game of the year or maybe third game of the year. And I think we played a little bit more. And I was really impressed with him and Gabe both and just their IQs, just their just ability to play the basketball, um, play basketball. And um, so I know he's going to be a big role. But uh, um, talk a little bit more about David. I know he uh, – I think he was ranked preseason – you know, in the top 10 or 15, I saw an outlet, you know, a lot of people really high on David. And I think David's one player who I think has probably improved some of the most over four years that I remember coaching against. Because I thought early on as a freshman, he seemed like his footwork was a little behind, you know, but I feel like now he's got a soft touch. His footwork's good. His, he shoots the free throw really well, finishes around the basket really well, and he's got great size. So, what do you expect from David? You know, I think he's probably your only senior. Is that right? If I'm looking correctly, talk yeah, about him maybe from a leadership. He is, and he's been around for four years. I mean, he is a guy that didn't really play. He didn't play freshman ball. He, he's been he's been up with us the entire time. Um, so, you know, trying to catch him up to speed starting tomorrow. You know, I, I was on a couple calls tonight with our, our coaching staff in terms of you know what do we try to get in before the first game, which is a week from week from tomorrow. And, you know, for some of the guys, you kind of worry about what you can get in and what you can't get in. But for, for Dave, who's been around for three years um, and he's a bright kid, Patrick, I mean, he's, he's top notch in his class, you know, 4.0 type of kid. Um, You know, we don't really worry too much about Dave um, in that regard. Um, Dave has done a tremendous job of, um, I think increasing his muscle mass and dropping his body fat percentages. Um, you know, when we saw him a lot this summer, Dave looked like a different kid through the chest and through the, through the shoulders. He just looked um, a lot more muscular. And uh, so we have high hopes for Dave. Dave does have a tremendous touch around the bucket um, as well as a lot of people don't understand that he can actually step out and shoot the three. Um, he hasn't had to do it in abundance, um, but 
it, don't, don't be surprised if for him to step back and, and, and shoot a three in the course of a game. Well, and I think even last year in the time we played, I think he shot one, and I think it was just a little short. Um, hit the front of the rim, but his form looked good. The ball looked good coming off his hands. Um, but I'll tell you one thing, and I got to watch you all play quite a bit last year due to the NFHS network, and when we weren't playing, I was constantly on there looking for 10th region teams to watch, and I feel like he runs the floor fairly well. Like, you know, when the ball comes off the rim and it's rebounded, like if he rebounds, I think he gets it out and he sprints the floor really well. Well, I think, and that was the one thing that we really worked hard on with Dave, and whether it was something that we actually did or happened to do it by necessity. Um, as a sophomore, you know, he he got to play with a guy named Ethan Eilerman, and Ethan was our, our go-to scorer, and then you also had Steven and Carson, and you didn't necessarily need Dave um, to be one of the top scorers. And as a sophomore and a freshman, Dave I shouldn't say struggle, but you could play him for about five minutes at a time and then Dave would need to rest. And depending on how many timeouts were called in the quarter and how fast the pace was going, oftentimes Dave would get pulled out just because he struggled a little bit with the endurance. Last year, we didn't have anybody. We didn't have any of the other options as a big because, as I mentioned, Luke Schumacher went out. Dave was our only true big. Well, we had to play Dave close to 32 minutes. And so Dave oftentimes ended up playing 30. So whether, you know, anything that we end up doing or just happened by circumstances, Dave got himself in great shape. So um, you're right, Patrick, he did run the floor better. He was able to stay, keep up his stamina. Um, so, you know, we know that Dave coming out of football starting tomorrow might struggle with that a little bit and we might, you know, for the first week or two, might have to give him a few extra breaks over the course of the game. But hopefully by mid to mid December or so, Dave's ready to log, you know, 30 minutes a game. Um, one of your juniors I want to talk about, and I don't even know what, like Robbie Verst. He's a kid I saw as a freshman or maybe an eighth grader I saw and I really liked. And then I know injuries have always plagued Robbie. Um is he healthy now? Is he playing? I mean, because that kid's got such a bright future, and I hope that he gets a chance to show everybody. Because when I saw him play, um, he was impressive. Well, Patrick, I, I, I echo those sentiments uh, exactly. Unfortunately, um, the third practice this year, Robbie tore his ACL. And uh, oh, so, you know, we got we – were, we were snake bitten last year with the injuries, and – it happened already the third practice this year. And it was, <laughs> we were just, it was the most innocent mundane drill. We were just going up and down and Robbie, Robbie didn't get undercut. He didn't do anything like that. He happened just go up for a rebound and the way he came down from a rebound, it just, his knee buckled. So he'll go, he'll have surgery. Um, today's the 21st. He'll have in two days, he has surgery on the 23rd um, for the ACL injury. But uh you know, tremendous family, tremendous kid. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we've been we've been already snake bit already with the injury. But more importantly, you know, the Burst family between Stephen last year and Robbie last year and the year before. But uh, you know, he, he's in great spirits. He, he comes to practice um, a couple of times a week, and he'll be there for our games and everything. But uh, unfortunately, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's reared its ugly head again. Well, Coach, I hate to hear that, and especially for not only you, but also for Robbie and, you know, their family. Uh, that kid just had a lot of bad luck in the two or three years he's been a high school athlete, and 
uh, hats off to you guys and thoughts and prayers with Robbie and his family. I hate that he has to go through that, but um, so it seems like some people are just like you said, snake bitten. You know, injuries just seem to happen, and they don't get the chance to show what they can do. And I hate that because he's a really impressive player. Yeah, and you know, our, our, our you know, here's the best thing about Robbie. Um, you know, Robbie's not sitting around there moping. Um, he, he's he's still when he comes, he brings a smile to his face. When he's at school, you know, he's still jovial with the guys as much as he is. He's kind of got a laid back personality to begin with. I mean, heck, that you know, the family calls him Mellow. I mean, that's his nickname, right. Mellow. But uh, you know, and that's just kind of how he is. But he's not the doom and gloom. Why me? All this type of stuff. And it's a is a teenager. You're going to have a little bit of that. Uh, that's just human nature. But Robbie's really good about it. Stephen was really good about that when he got hurt. Stephen was the biggest cheerleader on our sideline and he'd be up being goofy and everything. And I think that just picks up the morale of everybody else. And so our players aren't sitting back and going, Oh my goodness. Well, Robbie's not here. Well, and it would be real easy to do. So even the, even Steve and Robbie are still showing leadership, even when they're not necessarily contributing to the team, you know, at practice and games, uh, they're, they're still great about that. And that does show you what kind of character and what kind of kids they are, that they're still able to come to practice with a smile on their face and, you know, be that cheerleader for their teammates and kind of lets everybody know that it is bigger than them. You know, it is the program and not just about them. So, but like I said, prayers to you guys and his family, but let's talk about the 37 district coach. It's probably night in, night out, probably one of the most competitive districts in the 10th region. Um, The only other one I would say is competitive you know, with all four teams on a lot of years is, you know, you know, the 30, uh, the, probably the 38th with Pendleton, Brack or Pendleton, uh, Nicholas Harrison and Robertson. But, you know, the 40th, they've not really had four good teams. I know a few years ago with Paris and Bourbon, Montgomery and Clark, but now it seems like it's Clark and then everybody else fighting for second. Um, so this year, at least, I would say you're all probably the most competitive. And I've said it, and you can either agree or disagree, and we'll hear your words, but um, I think Calvary's one of the more underrated teams and Coach Donaldson being one of the more underrated coaches. I just don't think, like, people talk about them enough. Um, and I think with all four of you, you guys this year, all four are very good basketball teams. So give me your thoughts on the district, on, you know, how night in, night in, how competitive it really is. Yeah, I, you know, Patrick, I don't think it's just this year. I think it's, like you said, year in, year out. I mean, let's see, this is my 16th year at, at Brossard and, you know, various capacities and had three years, at, you know, at Campbell. So going on 20 years in the district, um, it's like that all the time. And, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, and I'm being from a school, it's something, it, it's really challenging when you're, you know, Calvary or our, ourselves or back in the day, the silver Grove. Um, so you, you, you battle the a element with like size schools in terms of being competitive, but then you still got Scott and Campbell that are, are, you know, at least three to four, maybe even five times your size of school. Um, and it's going to be like that for a long time. I think uh, I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. So, you know, even though it's, uh, it's, you know, it's, I think coaches, sometimes we look at certain types of schools and, and um, certain types of districts is in districts. And we say, Oh, that'd be a, that's a really good school to coach. At, and that's a really good school to coach. And maybe not so much. The, the Brots is a wonderful, wonderful place to coach, but it is a bear of a district every single year. Um, and, and that makes it tough. And this year's no different. 
And you're right. And um, and I do know I've heard coaches say about certain schools they'd like to coach or like to coach at. And when I ask them why, it's like, look at that district. Who wouldn't want to be in that district? You know, I know, you know, Mason County is always a hot, top popular uh, landing spot for coaches because they're in a district with three A's. Now, Bracken and Augusta are competitive this year. I think St. Pat's better. I don't still think they're at the level of uh, Augusta or Bracken or Mason, but, you know, Mason no longer has it easy in that district. But I do hear people talk about, you know, I've heard people talk about how, how uh, I guess, an appealing-looking job Harrison County is because of the district they're in. So um, that's one thing that you guys can't say in your district because on any night all four schools, you know, are capable. And I think Do- Coach Donaldson told me that last year against Campbell County in the district, like they were in the game for a while, like, you know, right. like it was competitive. And so – and I think well, Calvary will be better this year. And maybe maybe people further in, in the tent down in the south maybe don't also realize this. Maybe they do. I'm not exactly sure. But not only – in terms of the, top, the the difficulties of playing in the district, but we also had to play in the Northern Kentucky Athletic Conference. Well, when you get to play in the Northern Kentucky Athletic Conference, you know, you're also playing teams like Highlands, who's just one state, and yet they are, they're every bit of four times bigger, even though that they're still Division Two. still had to play people like Holmes, um, you know, at Newport, I mean, it never, Beachwood, all those types of schools, um, it, it, it's not, it's never easy, whether it be a district, um, district seated game or our conference schedules, you know, and then this upcoming year, we went ahead and scheduled some other big schools. We ended up putting Boone County on the schedule, Rye on the schedule, you know, some five and six A schools. So, you know, maybe I'm crazy for scheduling that way, but, uh, um, you know, we don't necessarily worry about wins, losses and all that type of stuff. We want to go ahead and, and schedule really tough. Um, and, and we're constantly playing teams that are constantly bigger than us. Well, and I wrote down on here NKAC because I knew you all were a part of the NKAC. Now, I know there's also different divisions, and I didn't know actually which schools you played that were a part of the NKAC, and I didn't know who who that wasn't in the 10th that you played as a part of that conference. But I do know that in years past, I think you even told me this before, you know, one of our Zooms about how that really limits your scheduling. You know, you've got the All-A you've got to get in. You've got all the NKAC games that you have to get in. Um, there really isn't a lot of extra dates for you to schedule a lot of teams. And that's got to no, be a challenge. There's really not, especially if you're playing any type of pre- or post-Christmas tournaments. Um, it, it makes it very challenging. Um, you know, this, this year was even more challenging because um, last year with – so many teams canceling due to COVID. It was, it was crazy. Um, you know, so this upcoming year when we end up putting schedules together, again, maybe somebody listening to your podcast doesn't maybe understand when high school coaches actually put their, their schedules together. And some people actually start putting their schedules together before the conclusion of the year before. Um, so I think we end up having a couple scheduled games before even our district was played last year. So, you know, late February, we probably had a handful of games already scheduled. So nobody knew what this upcoming year's COVID was going to do. So we maxed out our games. We, we went ahead and scheduled 30 thinking, well, if it's anything like last year, some games were going to get canceled due to quarantines or some people at the end of the season didn't want to play us, whatever the case was. 
Um, so we maxed out and we went with that. And so if we're fortunate to, to, you know, advance through the A and, and make it to state, you know, um, you know, uh, we'll probably end up having to cancel games because we'll be over the limit. Well, find those five and six, eight schools coach and cancel one of those to make a little bit easier on you. Um, but, you know, you talked about how hard your schedule is, and I'm looking through it. It is difficult for a, an A school. Um, but tell me, how, how scheduling that way, how does that prepare you for your district tournament, you know, your the regional tournament, maybe an all-A run or an all-A state? So tell me about your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the, the other thing people maybe you understand or don't understand, a lot of times you're – we might not actually send the contracts out like we used to maybe 10 years ago, but there's still a gentleman's agreement when you're doing uh, your, your schedule on game, you're doing it for two years. So, you know, we'll end up having these games that we scheduled for last year. Well, we have them this year, or if we started scheduling this year, we got them for next year. So there's a lot more that goes into it that people don't understand. Um, but anyway, but yeah, we want to schedule really tough. Um, and, you know, Willie was good about scheduling tough. Mike was really good about scheduling tough. And, and I felt, yeah, we got to continue to schedule tough. Um, there was a couple of schools that we had to, on our schedule previous that have chosen not to play us. Some small A schools have chosen not to play us. And, and so be it. They, they, have that, uh, they have that right to not want to play us. And um, that, that's fine. So we end up having to go get a, a few other bigger schools. And um... – you know, I'm looking down through your schedule here, and um, I see that you are you chose to play in a preseason and post or sorry preseason a pre Christmas post Christmas tournament, and um, I'm pretty familiar with the Swagger Classic because I know Robertson County's in that this year, um, right. but I also know that the Henry County Invitational is a very good Christmas tournament. Um, it's got pretty much um, I think a little bit of uh, clout because of the I think it's been around a while, and I think they've had some good teams come. So tell me why you chose those two. You know, when I when I looked sure. at the Slugger a couple of years ago at Robertson, it was primarily an all-A tournament. I looked at the field this year, and, and I saw where Robertson opened up with Holy Cross, and I saw you were in it, and I saw, I think, Metcalf County maybe your first. It just seemed like there was a lot of larger schools than what used to uh, agree to go to the Slugger. Right, yeah, it, it's certainly a lot bigger. I mean, heck, a couple of years ago, Lex Kath was up and playing in it. If you can believe it, um, yeah, we we got we got Metcalf, and I think Metcalf's a four A school, a little bit south of Louisville, and that's our opening round game. Um, you know, so yeah, that's close, and and the reason why we end up playing that, we can get a lot of games prior in prior to the A, uh, which is important for us to get some experience, especially with a young team. But on top of that, the way Brossard's um, school calendar falls, they go very late this year. And that's also the week of um, exams. So we can't travel very far because of the importance of academics. Um, I, I wouldn't feel it's right. Um, I, I would never ask our administration for us to go play, you know, two hours away, go play Clark or Montgomery on a night like that when we got exams the next day. Um, I don't think it's right for kids. Um, so we end up playing fairly local. Heck, there's some kids that actually probably live closer to Bellevue than they do Brosser, to be perfectly honest, that live on the northern part of the county that will still come to us. Um, so it, it's a great situation for us. It only, it'll only affect one, one day of exams. And then the other two days, um, you know, they'll be off. Um, so it, it works out well for us. 
the Henry County, Henry County plays in that, that's where they have the eighth region every single year. It's a big gymnasium, kind of similar. It's about as close as we can come up with that simulates Mason County High School in the field house. Um, you know, where you have one end with a stage. Well, Henry County's got that. You got one end with with seating. Well, they got that. Um, and on top of that, you get to play against some Louisville schools that typically come up that play oftentimes a little bit different. A couple of years ago, we uh, not this past year because of COVID, but the year before, we ended up playing South Oldham. And South Oldham was ranked in the state in the top 20, and they had one of the best three-point shooting teams. And they had, you know, the the, the leading candidate for Mr. Basketball or uh, the player of the year in the eighth region. Um, so it, play, it allows us to play against teams from different styles. It allows us to play in a venue that's a large venue to play in. And, uh, you know, we, we just think, and it's not too far away where we don't have to spend three nights in the hotel. So what we'll end up doing is spending one night so kids will be able to get the experience of being, you know, team camaraderie and, and a little bit going away. But it's not where we're going to be so taxed afterwards. And, you know, you always still have to keep in mind with COVID and everything. You don't want to keep people um, in tight spaces for long periods of time. And so one night we thought this was a, a perfect thing for us again this year. And uh, Henry County has always treated us right. And they do a, a really good job with their their tournament. So, uh, yeah, we made that decision to go back there. Um, you mentioned South Oldham. Steve Simpson, the coach of South Oldham, actually coached at Augusta when I was in middle school. He coached right. my brother okay. through high school. And before I got to high school, he'd went on and – I'm not so sure he went to South Oldham from Augusta or where, but I know he's landed, made a few trips to Rupp at South Oldham. So kind of a connection there with South Oldham. Um, you've mentioned the All-A. I've mentioned the All-A. Um, I look at the brackets and I see that yet again, you've drawn Nicholas County. That seems like something that's happened every year for the past three or four years. It seems like um, you and Nicholas face off, but um, you know, and it's no secret. And this is just based on my rankings and what I believe and, that and 50 cents will buy you a cup of coffee. Also, the bluegrass prep rankings. Also, um, I know the cats or the ledger independent cats Paul's rankings. Um, the top three schools in the all A are you, Augusta, and Bracken. And all three of those, all three of you guys are on the same side of the bracket. And by no means would I ever – I know Augusta and Bracken play each other. You play Nicholas. I'm not asking you to look ahead and say, who are you going to play in the second round? Because we both have too much respect for Nicholas County and Coach Wrights for that. But just kind of your overall assessment of the A and, you know, your thoughts on the A. Because I think this year may have one of the more overall competitive fields than what we've seen in the past. Well, you know, and Patrick, you know, you, asked, you brought that up. but And I'll say the same thing as I said in media day. You know, people aren't talking enough about Calvary. And I agree. Uh, and, and, you know, and not only Calvary, but you still have the best player in the region and, Ro and Becker from Robertson. So anybody that would discredit, you know, Robertson or Calvary, I think is way, way, way too premature. Um, it, it's as about as balanced of a field as I've seen in a long time, um, where I kind of thought Robertson last year was – a little bit above, you know, head and shoulders above everybody else, especially due to, you know, our injury situation. I thought you guys were going into the game. I thought you guys were better, um, but doesn't mean that you guys were, un were unbeatable. And right. I thought, you know, we gave you, a, you know, a really tight game, really close game, and a few things that could have, uh, you know, 
happened in the fourth quarter, maybe things would have been a little bit different. And but we needed a lot of things to go our way to be able to pull up and pull off an upset this year. I I have no idea who the heck is going to win. And if if anybody thinks that they they really have a, a good pulse on who's the best team, um, I, I think they're quite um, I, I don't know misguided because I I, I think they're just way too competitive right now um let maybe you know a couple of weeks into the season we'll have a little bit better understanding um but I, I i think that there's a handful of teams that could win it this year and that's kind of where i wanted to hear from you because i agree i mean and i said before in your district that i feel like calvary's underrated coach donaldson always gets the most out of his guys and, you know, anytime you got the best player on the floor like Robertson does in Becker, I feel like, like you said, you can't discredit them. I mean, they've got a chance. But I also feel like the field is talented as a whole. And I know we've mentioned five, and I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking Paris. I'm not knocking Nicholas. You know, I'm not knocking St. Pat. But, you know, we've mentioned five of the eight schools that who I think on any given night could win the A. And I just want, you know, that's competitive balance to me. There is no one team that's head and above shoulders above anybody else well here's the, here's the other thing patrick um you know when a couple of these publications have asked us to to rate players that are returning oftentimes i just respectfully emailed them back or whatever and said i can't necessarily rate the players because quite frankly we don't necessarily know who's coming back you know i heard davenport kids coming back from from nicholas whether he decides to play basketball or or doesn't play basketball and concentrate on baseball whatever um and I think that goes from a lot of different schools. So you can't just say, okay, well, that team has lost so much from the previous year. Well, I, you really don't know who's coming back until and, and how they're going to play and how that team is going to work um, at least a couple of weeks into the season before you get any type of inkling, um, you know, uh, in terms of who has the best um, potential and who, who might, you know, have a, a lower, lower ceiling. And that's a very good point, too, and something I hadn't thought about. The COVID year makes a huge difference. You know, you don't know, like you said, who's coming back and who isn't. And um, that definitely may have a say in, you know, a lot of things. And um, very good point, one I didn't – I hadn't thought about. So I mean, the, the Davenport kid hung, hung 31 on us in the first round of the of the, um, of the A last year. And yeah, he's he a nice player. If he comes back and hangs 31 on us again, they have a heck of a shot of knocking us off. So, you know, who knows? <laughs> uh, you're right. And you don't really know, but it's still, I mean, um, the COVID year does play a huge role. And that's just something that I guess hadn't crossed my mind. But um, you're right. Um, and, you know, the media, you know, as coaches, they always ask us to address top 10 teams, top 10 players. And, um, most of us probably put some list of names down, and um, but you're right to give a fair indication of who you feel like is the top ten and uh, players. It would change within a week, anyhow, due to injuries, due to you know first week of the season. So, um, but you know, I just think I wanted to hit on just how competitive the All A is, and you know, the All A is one of those tournaments who doesn't mean a whole lot to you know. I talked to some of the other coaches at bigger schools, and they just don't understand the excitement of the All A and why we get excited about it. But it's probably one of the only times all year long that we get the opportunity to play against schools that are our size. You know, like I said, you look at your schedule and you're playing four A, five A schools. You know, the A gives you an opportunity to play against other teams who are you know, somewhat your size. Right. And, you know, uh, I, you hear this from a lot of 
coaches who, in general, there are some dog days of the winter. And some of those part of the season will drag a little bit. But the one nice thing about playing in a school, you always have something to look forward to. And whether it be, um, you know, the beginning of the season or even, you know, to a certain degree, a Christmas tournament. And then you have the A region. And if you're fortunate enough to, to advance to the A region, you got the A state right, leading up right to districts. But, uh, you know, if you don't have that, um, you know, talk to, I know, 2A tournament, try to get that rolling, and but it might not have been the same feel as the A schools. Um, you go down to whether it was Frankfurt or EKU over the past couple of years, and that is a tremendous atmosphere in terms of um, fan base. Uh, I, I remember several years ago, we went down there in EKU and we ended up playing a, a school called Lee County. And, and Lee County, honest to goodness, Patrick, half of McBriar Arena was filled with Lee County. And when we walked through the tunnel, all we saw was from the first set of sections all the way to the top was red, white, and blue of their colors, their school colors. And we turned, you know, and we saw to our, our right and we saw just a, a smattering of, of green shirts. And, but it was unbelievable for schools that make their first appearance, um, what type of fan base that they'll draw out. And uh, you can't get that anywhere um, except for perhaps districts or, or big region, but it's, it's a tremendous, tremendous experience for our guys. And I've always said, and, you know, I've been fortunate enough to do it on the girls' side, and I've been fortunate enough to play or coach it on the boys' side. And um, I've always said, you know, it seems like at Bracken County and even at Robertson, like district tournaments meant a little bit more than the all-A state. And, you know, I've also been fortunate enough to win a district on the girls and boys, but I've said I'd give all my district tournaments back for just one more chance to go to the all-A because I got to play in it or coach in it at EKU. I've also uh, – the arena in Frankfurt, the Civic Center there in Frankfurt. And I actually like the the atmosphere at the Civic Center in Frankfurt. But, um, you know, when we – at Robertson County, it's a huge deal. You know, when we went to the All-A State and we got to play at EKU back in 18, um, the largest session attendance-wise was the session we played. So when you just described Lee County, that was Robertson County for us. We get out there on the floor and you look up and there's people – you know, of course, we see just tons of black shirts, but there were people that attended that game that probably hadn't been to a Deming or a Robertson County game in 20-some years. And just to say your kids got the opportunity to compete on a state level, because most times, be honest, you know, very few all-A schools get the opportunity to play at Rupp Arena. There are some. I know Brossard's had that opportunity in the past, and, you know, there are some, but just I feel like it gives our kids a chance to play at that state level and still to have that atmosphere, that feel to say, hey, you know, I've competed at the state level. Well, and here's the other thing, that Patrick, uh, and, you know, you, you know this, but there's a lot of people that don't. You know, a lot of people think the A is only would be the same, the equivalent of of a football. And it's not, you know, the all a state tournament is reserved for the well, uh, shoot, whatever it is, the um, 125, the lowest 125 schools in terms of enrollment, somewhere around that, don't quote me right. on that number. That's close. But it, it's, I mean, it almost, it almost encompasses close to half the state. 
in terms of schools, uh, and certainly a third, but yet we think of a school and people quickly discredit it and say, well, it's only just a smattering of teams, only just a few teams that could compete in. That, that's not the case. It's at least 33% of the schools across the state that are eligible to play in that tournament. So it's, it's a tremendous, tremendous honor to A, to be able to get to the state. And then, you know, in, in 2007, we were fortunate to win it all. Well, and um, that's kind of like what I've said, uh, you know, and I know years past too. And I think when I was at Bracken County on the girls' side, it used to be like if your school had, you know, nine through 12, 500 kids or less, you were considered all A. But now they said the smallest, like you said, the smallest so many schools are eligible. Um, when we went to the all A state, I think it was in 18, we looked at enrollments. We had less than 100 kids in our high school. And then you had some of the, the all A teams playing that had like, 480, 490, you know, so um, it's still a big, huge disparity. Some when, when you say small school or a school, but still the just the experience you get or your kids get at the state level is just something I feel like, you know, can't be duplicated by winning a district tournament. Yeah, I, I completely agree, Patrick. But and, uh, you know, kudos goes out to Stan Stidle and all that type of stuff for his his vision in terms of doing it because it was a tremendous amount of legwork, um, you know, God rest Stan's soul. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we certainly, anytime, you know, when Sam passed away, you know, you always kind of had that fear in the back of your mind. Well, I hope somebody's still going to take the ball and run with this because they got a tremendous, tremendous product. Um, but I also know it's a tremendous amount of work for that committee and the A to be able to put forth a, um, a fantastic tournament, not only for basketball, but for all the sports, for all these schools across the state. And I'm glad you mentioned Mr. Steidel, because I remember, you know, I, I got a chance to play in the all A when I was in school. And um, I also worried about when he passed, if it would continue on and thank goodness it has, because I still feel like it gives the small schools an opportunity that can't be duplicated. And, um, all right, Coach, I know it's a Sunday night, it's a school night, but i got to ask you one question before we go. This is sure. kind of off topic here of high school basketball, but I know you got a big week this week. we got Michigan, Ohio State. Um, <laughs> I, know, I know where your allegiance lies. I know where Coach Ellsburn's allegiance lies. And I lean towards you all. I can't say I'm a fan of either because I'm not, but I'm anti-Ohio State. So for this week only, I'll be uh, a go big blue, a navy blue, I should say. Um, cause I'm always Kentucky blue, but, uh, what can we expect this week? Uh, Michigan, Ohio state, tell me about it. <laughs> well, do you want me to speak from my heart or my head? Well, I want you to speak from your heart and hopefully it's the same thing your head's thinking. Well, my, my heart, my head says two different things. My heart <laughs> for, for people that don't know, you know I, I lived up in Michigan for a while and I'm a huge, huge Michigan fan. Heck my front uh, license plate has a big old Michigan. And if I'm doing this podcast in my basement, my basement would be, you'd see in the backdrop of my, it would be a lot of Michigan stuff. Um, my, my head says that Ohio state is one of the, the best four teams in, in college football. And, uh, and quite frankly, I probably, I, I put them at number two behind Georgia. Um, I, I think Ohio state is really daggone good, really explosive on offense. And uh, you know, uh, I, I hope, turnovers for Ohio State, some type of misplay, playing in, in the big house, playing in, in, in Ann Arbor. Somehow, some way we, we can pull off, you know, the win. But uh, my heart's saying, you know, go blue, but my head's saying that uh, Ohio State's still a little bit better. Well, um, and you know as well as I do, when you have an explosive offense that Ohio State has, your defense doesn't have to be really, really good. 
Um, but their offense is explosive, and I agree with you. They're one of the best four teams. Um, I'm an SEC guy, so I'm not going to put them above Bama just yet, but I won't be shocked if those, that's the two and three teams playing in the, the big four. But uh, I'm with you this week, Coach. Uh, go Big Blue. And uh, once again, thanks for taking time on a Sunday night to talk to me. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you and all you do for the 10th region and your student athletes, and um, I appreciate your time. Well, Patrick, anytime. I, I thoroughly enjoy uh, our Zooms together over COVID, and, and I really appreciate our friendship as it keeps us growing and evolving every single uh, month and every single year. It's been awesome, and uh, I, I feel very blessed to, that God has put wonderful people in my life like yourself as well as other 10th region coaches. And, uh, you know, um, I'm fortunate to be able to be able to coach at Brossard and being around fantastic student athletes and, uh, um, you know, God is good and life is good, buddy. And I'll be honest with you, Coach, that's probably the only thing I miss so far is the relationships with coaching. I enjoy going home at 3 o'clock every day, um, hopefully through the podcast and getting out and watch you guys play. You know, I can see you to build those relationships. But like I said, thank you for your time. I appreciate it. No problem, buddy. Take care, buddy. That was Bishop Rosser head coach Scott Code. Bishop Rosser opens up their season versus Villa Madonna. As always, thank you to the listeners at home. Continue to stay tuned and stay hot.